Hello everybody, welcome to this study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. You will remember that last time we did an introduction. And you can go to this introduction by going to my website and you will find it there. And uh, please do so, so that you can get an idea of the whole book as we go through it and seek to be faithful to its text. So thank you so much for joining us again in this series of studies. I trust it will be a source of encouragement and blessing to your heart, as it has been to me. So now we deal again with Paul's first letter to the church at Thessaloniki. And this, in fact, is study one. Our former uh, um, presentation was an introduction, but this is the first study. I'd like to give an introduction to it. As we begin our study of this wonderful Pauline letter, we must remember that it is indeed a letter and actually not a book. It is written to the congregation at Thessaloniki and therefore the text must be expounded with this in mind. That is, we should not overcomplicate our understanding of it but simply endeavor to discover what the letter intended to say to old and to young alike. By doing this, we will honor Paul and be encouraged by what he had to say to his readers. Also, as we have noted previously in our introduction, the letter is general in content, addressing many themes that are important to understand as we, like the believers as at Thessaloniki, set out to follow Christ and end well. So, hey, let's look at the greeting. And this is in chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins with his familiar greeting by affirming the congregation's standing and position with God. They are in God and in Christ Jesus. And therefore, he draws our attention immediately to the nature of the Godhead, that is, the Father and the Son. He makes reference in the first chapter to the Holy Spirit as well. Jesus then enjoys equality with God, something that he surrendered for a season in order to redeem the world from sin. Not that he ceased to be fully God, but instead laid aside some of the attributes of his divinity in order to become fully man. In his letter to the church at Philippi, Paul writes of this glorious truth, actually in chapter 2 and verses 5 to 7. Listen to these wonderful words. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. What a wonderful statement and reminder of the humility of Christ. And so he introduces us to this remarkable thing that God indeed became flesh, laid aside some of his attributes, never ceased to be God, but truly became fully man. To some extent, this holds mystery. It's hard for us to get our minds around it. And this has been true of many throughout church history. A fact that Paul acknowledges in his first letter to Timothy, where he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. God was manifested in the flesh. And it's interesting. He says, this is beyond controversy. In other words, we ought to accept it. We ought to believe it, even if it has profound mystery in it. It is not something that we are to get involved with in terms of argumentation and disagreement. Jesus is fully God and fully man. So having asserted the nature of the Godhead, he then extends God's grace and peace to the congregation. Our relationship with God the Father by Jesus Christ is entirely rooted in his unmerited favor extended toward us, which brings us, who were once his enemies, into a place of peace with him. That is truly wonderful. And indeed, this is the goal of our earthly pilgrimage, to draw closer and closer to God, to know him more, to know him better, to love him and to serve him. So then Paul teaches us that there are a number of things that he would like to bring to their attention as he remembers them, as he thinks about them. And you know, it's probably true that they never met in a nice sanctuary, some nice building that we would call quote-unquote a church. They probably met in houses, from house to house, with oversight, responsible leadership. And you can just see Paul thinking of them as they gathered in the homes at Thessaloniki to love God, to serve him, and to know more about Jesus. So he talks, secondly, of his commitment to the congregation. In verse 2, his commitment to the congregation. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul is mindful 
of the healthy spiritual condition of the congregation at Thessaloniki and reminds them that it is with thanksgiving that he continuously prays for them. This certainly reminds us of our obligations to the local body of Christ and its leadership. Prayer is essential to its well-being and we must shoulder this call just as Paul did. We must become people of prayer. If there's any deficiency in the body of Christ, it's that of prayerlessness. And I'm always reminded of what Jesus said, that his house should be a house of prayer. We must be like Paul. Paul remembered them, not simply in his mind with a sense of thanksgiving, but he remembered them before the throne of God. He prayed for them all the time. They were on his heart. We have to get to a place like that in terms of our local congregations where we serve and where we are fed. May God help us to do it. And then we have, next of all, Paul's thankfulness for the congregation. And we find this actually in uh, verse 3 and 4. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So, Paul is thankful for their testimony to biblical faith in that, one, their faith is active and productive. That is, it is a work of faith and therefore produces results. It's important for us to hear this. We are certainly saved by faith alone in Jesus' finished work on the cross on our behalf. But we go on to validate this faith by engaging in works of faith in the life of the local congregation and the world. The book of Ephesians states this very clearly in chapter 2 and verse 10, where Paul again writes that we are saved by faith alone in verse 8. But then he goes on to say that God has also prepared for us the good works after that, the good works of faith that we should walk in. Another way of putting it is to say that good works are not the grounds of our salvation, but they are certainly the evidence of it. True faith begins to make a difference to people and the community around us. It is a work of faith. James, in his famous epistle, reminds that, reminds us of that, where he says, faith without works is indeed dead. The challenge that comes to my heart and your heart is do we walk in that wonderful faith that is truly productive, fully energetic, and uh, is just a blessing? May God help us to be like that. And then he talks about their love for one another is sacrificial. 
That's the second thing that comes to his mind as he gives thanks to them. Their love is sacrificial. You know, real love is not a fuzzy feeling or a hug in a church. Not that I'm minimizing how wonderful a greeting like that is, but that's not real love. But rather, it is a labor of love. He says here, and we need to see it again, for remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love. So faith has to do with sacrifice. It is sacrificial. Love means learning to sacrifice and go out of our way to help one another. That's true love. It is a labor. It is something that costs us. This type of love is not often witnessed in many congregations, but it was at Thessaloniki. Of course, Jesus manifested it when he died for us on the cross. And we can and should embrace the same attitude, but not many do. In his letter to the Philippians again, Paul reminds us of our obligations in this regard. And we see that in chapter 2 and verses 5 to 11. Listen to what he says here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That is the attitude that Jesus had about love and caring for others should be in our minds. And then he says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. He says, Jesus who had a reputation, who was not a sinner, willingly gave up these wonderful attributes of God, dwelt among us as a bondservant and served us sacrificially. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. My friends, that's a challenge. A challenge that the church needs to hear, that I need to hear, that you need to hear. True faith in Christ produces a work of faith, but also a labor of love. And then thirdly, he thanks God for this congregation at Thessaloniki because their hope is steadfast and immovable. And so he adds that to it. 
remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. The believers at Thessaloniki were convinced and fully assured of the hope of eternal life that would be fully ushered in by Jesus' second coming. What makes hope certain in our lives and thus enables us to be patient in waiting for the things we believe to materialize is the fact that we have by the Spirit of God received a down payment or deposit of heaven or as the writer of the book of Hebrews puts it, the things to come. Real believers have encountered heaven. A little bit of heaven has been stamped upon their lives. They've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. We received a down payment of what will be fully materialized in the future when Jesus comes. It is this that makes hope certain. It is this that gives us patience, no matter what happens on earth, no matter what circumstances we live in, we can push forward because we have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Paul thanks God for the believers at Thessaloniki for their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience in hope. Is he speaking to you? Is he speaking to me? Does his letter resonate with our hearts? And then fourthly, he thanks God for them as he remembers them because their election is sure. He makes the statement, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Yes, there's that challenging word. Knowing, brethren, your election by God. They are, as Paul puts it then, the elect of God. And you know, we should not water this mystery down as many attempt to do. Many ignore it or they feel uncomfortable with it. And so, consequently, they attempt to water it down, to remove its meaning. The truth is, Without the drawing work of God by the Holy Spirit in our lives, 
none of us can be saved. In John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said that. No one can come to the Father unless you draw him. Without the drawing work of God by the Holy Spirit in our lives, none of us can be saved. And consequently, according to foreknowledge, God draws some and others he never engages. That's interesting, isn't it? And that's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 9 and uh, verses 14 to 16. Let me read it to you. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. So, given the fruit of repentance and salvation demonstrated by works of faith and labor of love, patience of hope, Paul acknowledges that they are part of God's election. The transformation is so real. It is so distinct. They demonstrate the fruits of turning to God by Jesus Christ. And this gives him much joy. Knowing, brethren, your election by God. Do you know that we too must make our election and calling sure by demonstrating the life of Christ in us? And that is stated in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Let me read it to you. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. In other words, by the grace of God in your heart and life and by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, pursue holiness. Desire Jesus with all your heart. Demonstrate the works of faith. Be sacrificial in your love and patient, even in trials, because of the hope before you. And that I preach to myself as I talk to you. And this then, is the reason for which Paul is so thankful for the believers at Thessaloniki. May God, by Jesus Christ, bless the study to your hearts. This is Malcolm Heading.